0: Hello and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today I'm speaking with Holly McGee, an author and literary agent whose books, written under the pen name Hallie Durand, include the picture books Mitchell's License and Catch That Cookie, as well as the Dessert First series of chapter books. Now McGee is releasing her first children's book under her own name, the middle-grade novel Matilda Bright and Tender. It's out this month from Candlewick Press, which is sponsoring this podcast. In the book, readers meet fourth-grade best friends Sussie and Guy, who share a pet, a leopard gecko named Matilda. After Guy dies in an accident while the friends are out riding bikes, Susie's grief is overwhelming. As Susie faces a future without Guy, she redoubles her efforts to care for Matilda, but those efforts don't always lead her to make the best choices. Holly, thank you for speaking with me. Hi
1: John, it's really nice to be here with you guys and I'm excited to reconnect with you.
0: Thanks. And yeah, I you know I suppose we should get a little disclaimer out of the way first, which was that you were one of my First bosses in publishing. Uh, when I worked at your agency, uh, Pippin Properties, uh, was you know way back when. At this point, though, it sometimes it, it, you know kind of feels like yesterday.
1: <laughs> I know it was fun times.
0: You know, so like I said, I mean, you've been writing children's books for, uh, for several years now, and you're not the only agent in the business to be doing so. Um, you know, why did you initially decide to write under a pen name?
1: I chose the pen name um, Hallie Duran because at that time it, I felt really uncomfortable about being in both worlds and I wanted to be sure that my manuscript would be acquired or not based on its own merit and not because of who I was or who I represented. And so the only way to really do that and to establish that core of confidence in the material itself and you know it's so hard to be a writer and you're always second guessing yourself and you're full of doubt. and is it good? Is it bad? Do I suck? You know? And, um, the only way for me to give myself that gift of a uh, little bit of confidence I could was to, um, submit it blindly, um, without anyone knowing, you know, who I really was, because I've been in this business a while and I know everybody.
0: Mm-hmm. And your first book was dessert first, right? Or am I forgetting any projects that came before that?
1: Yes, my first book was Dessert First,
0: yeah. And so um, why now do you feel like it's time to, to let that pen name go? Because I get the sense that maybe Hallie Durand is retiring.
1: Um, Hallie's retiring, as far as I know. <laughs> and I decided to let it go because this novel came so straight from my own heart that it felt wrong to put a pen name on it. As well, people know that I'm Hallie Durand at this point, and i I wanted to write books from a deeper place than I'd been able to in the past and it just seemed time to integrate who I am as an agent with who I am as a writer because it all comes from the same place.
0: Along those lines, you know, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like in past conversations, I seem to remember you saying that you've always felt especially connected to your own early middle school years, you know, essentially the the age that Sussy and Guy are at. Is that right? And why do you think those years um, loom so large for you?
1: Uh, I don't know if I would say middle school years, but certainly high school and the way I grew up, the rural background making friends, not making friends, caring about, uh, you know, how you appear or not. Those, those I think, are consistent threads through our whole lives. So maybe I'm always connected to my past in in terms of going forward.
0: So Holly, you know, you, you mentioned this being a, a, a sort of a very personal and kind of from the heart book. Uh, can you talk about some of the threads and influences that you wound up uh, drawing on for it?
1: Absolutely. You know, there's a chapter in the book when Sussie and Guy acquire Matilda from the pet store. And a few days later, they wonder where she came from. And they go back to the store and they ask Mike, the sales clerk, where she came from. And he says all he knows is that she came from a breeder. And he says, why don't you give her an origin story? Just make one up. So Sussi and Guy do that, and they turn this ordinary gecko from total pets into a mythical warrior lizard with a tender heart and 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 sorrow and sadness, and um, whose only desire is to be loved. And in that way, um, I I think of it as alchemy, really, um, which is when we take something, one thing, and transform it into another. And what happened to me is when I was a teenager. I was in a terrible, terrible car accident and for years and years I carried it around for decades really like a rock in my pocket and finally it was time to um, turn it into something beautiful and to move my emotions and the feelings of what happened to me out into the world and in the same way Sessian guy's words um transform Matilda into something else my I took this terrible thing that happened and turned it into something lovely and um in that way it, how could I do anything but you know write it under my own name
0: mm. and do you feel like that's uh what Sussy on some level is then trying to do as well. You know, maybe it's too, you know, it's too soon in the book, but to sort of try to figure out how, what she can do with this, this horrific loss that she's suddenly facing.
1: Yeah, I think she learned. I mean, it was interesting to walk through, it was a wonderful experience um, that I've never had before to walk through my own grief with Sussy on one side and this ancient reptile on the other. And as we went through the darkness into the light, we all learned together that we could fold the terrible things that happened to us into ourselves and stop fighting them. And just as Susie learned that Guy's death could be part of who she is rather than something she had to fight, and that she could learn to love from that, I learned the same thing and I think my hope in writing this you know after it was written obviously I didn't know this as I was going but that it could reach readers of every age and sh- and show them that they can dig deep and and find the promise of joy in the very thing that made them sad when when they're ready and I wanted to write a book that would have helped me when I was Younger, And that would have held me the way that maybe I wasn't really held at that time.
0: And, you know, we don't have to give too much of the book away if you don't want to, but can you talk a little bit about the different ways that that Sussie's grief kind of manifests? I mean, there's a little bit with, you know, the clothing that she's kind of reluctant to change. There's these scenes where she's kind of viscerally back in the moment of these memories of her time with Guy. There's other things um, are those things that kind of came easily as you were sort of exploring her grief?
1: Well, I think, you know, I when I first started this book, I got to page 25. It was the summer of 2012. And um, I put it down because I knew that guy was going to be killed and I couldn't stand it. And then when I finally picked it up again, I think I was ready in some way to write those scenes where... Those scenes of grief, and I would go in my family room by myself late at night and just type with my eyes closed. I would go back to those teenage years of my own, and sometimes I would cry even when I was typing and and I didn't I never looked at what I wrote till the next morning, and then I'd get up and you know sort of tentatively open up my laptop and see what I got. And um, it was just, like, so raw, still so raw. And I think I was able to access, you know, that true bottoming out of grief. And Sussie, first, you know, she hears Guy talking from his coffin, and she, he asked her to promise to love the lizard enough for both of them. And she knows she can't do that, but she agrees. And so she's got this promise looming over the whole rest of the book. And she'll do anything to try to love Matilda, but she's not She's not really feeling it herself yet. She's doing it for Guy. And it's not really until she can do it for herself that it finally works. And she starts stealing things for the lizard. She does all kinds of things that she's, she's aware of, but she's also unconscious about. When she sees herself going to the pet store to steal things... But she's not really conscious of it until one day you know everything just just implodes and and that's kind of the turning point of the book
0: well, you know, speaking of we should spend a little time talking about uh Matilda and uh, is it right that that you guys have two leopard geckos at home?
1: Well, at the time of the flap copy, we had two and and now we have three. <laughs>
0: Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad the number went up because, you know, <laughs> what was the story? How did you guys land on um, leopard geckos as, as a pet to bring into the home?
1: Well, you know, I had mentioned I got to page 25 and couldn't write anymore. And in a way, one of the, one of the great things about that was during the year when I stopped writing, um, my son got a, a check for $50 from his grandparents for his birthday. And all he wanted was a leopard gecko. So we went to the pet store and and he chose Speedy. And um, that summer, everyone in my house was on vacation somewhere, but I was home and I was supposed to take care of Speedy. And I was terrified because, I, you know, the the lizard is rough and bumpy and they might bite you or nibble and, and you have to feed them live crickets and crickets jump up and down and they're hard to catch and I, I don't like insects anyway. And so um, I was in charge of, of Speedy, and I got to know so much about geckos, and I really fell in love with him. And um, then when I went back to the book, Speedy had paved the way for Matilda, and Matilda just appeared in the book. Our other lizards are, we have Midnight, and Midnight is like, really nasty. She, she—any uh, anytime you put your hand in the tank, she does not, she did not want you there. So she, we're all a little bit afraid of her, but we have to take turns feeding her. And then we have Godzilla, who we adopted when a friend of my oldest child moved to college and he couldn't take uh, the lizard with him. So we've got three different vivariums. Two of them live in my daughter's room, my oldest daughter's room, and Speedy now moved into my, my room because I love him the most. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, well, n- now I have to ask. So in the book, uh, Susie and her father have this whole enterprise of trapping live crickets to feed Matilda using, you know, these soda bottle and fruit traps. This feels very drawn from life, but I thought I would check. Is this a successful method you've you found?
1: <laughs> now actually, that is the only thing that I didn't make up in the book. And those cricket trap designs were invented by my husband. They really do work. I've not tried all different kinds of bait. We usually stick with, you know, just an apple or a carrot. Um, And sometimes you might get seven at a time. It's terrifying to dump them into the tank. So all those scenes in the book where Sussie's, you know, coming to peace with killing off the crickets are, yeah, they're drawn from pretty close to real life.
0: (laughs) So what plans do you have for the release of the book, which is, you know, almost upon us?
1: Um, I'm really, really excited to be part of the Maplewood Ideas Festival lineup. Um, I feel honored that they asked me and I've put together a um thirty minute presentation I'm gonna be doing at the library on March twenty eighth at four PM. Um I spent a lot of time, you know, trying to get get better at presenting things and I'm I'm excited to have my local people Come hear it. Um, I'm going to do an event with Peter Reynolds at his bookstore, The Blue Bunny. We're going to do that together in April. I'm going to do a panel at Word's bookstore in Maplewood on March 18th with three other middle grade authors, which I think will be really, really fun. And um, I'm going to do Nerd Camp in May. So those are some of the things I... I have lined up.
0: Very good. And what about on the book front? Uh, I thought I saw you have a picture book out later this year.
1: I do. I have. Uh, yeah. I. I. I know. Don't. Don't get the idea. There's going to be a lot coming every year. Those are my only two. <laughs> two things for okay. for a while. But um, yes, it's called "Come with Me," and uh, it. I made it with one of my long-term friends and clients, Pascal Metra, and during. Um, the 9-11 attacks, he had sent me a beautiful painting of a frightened, grieving man planting a flag with a heart on it at the World Trade Center site. And um, I always kept it with me, you know, because in times of of, of fear over terrorism and whatever could happen. And um, then during the Brussels lockdown last spring I started writing him, because he was right there and I was wondering how they were doing and how they were coping day to day I wasn't sure exactly what a lockdown meant and were they still going out and he said yes they're still shopping at their Moroccan grocery store that other people were afraid of and they were walking their dog and and so we made this book together to uh, I guess really show that as small and insignificant as we all feel our part matters and we can go on in the face of anger and hatred I'm really excited about it. It comes out September 5th.
0: And finally, you know, you've seen the children's book business, you know, from multiple angles and sides over the years. Is there anything going on now in the industry, you know, trends or otherwise that is really exciting to you either as an agent or as a writer?
1: As an agent, um as an agent, I would say some of the new some of the formats um some of my artists are coming up with that, that haven't been been seen before, published before are, they're breaking a lot of rules. I think people are feeling braver. I think people are feeling that, you know, they want to make something that looks different, that maybe the picture book market is so hard to get into and so competitive, and there are just so many, so they want to make things that stand out from the pack. And I would say, as a writer, I, I just feel... I want to dig deeper and deeper. I have so much emotional satisfaction from going into parts of myself that I'm afraid of, and I kind of see one book as a passage to the next. And it's been um, it's really has been, you know—the the experience of alchemy, trans, transforming these emotions into stories that that I hope resonate um, with people. And I want to do more of it.
0: Well, you know, congratulations again on on this new book, and uh, thank you again for taking time to speak with me.
1: Thank you, John. It was great to talk to you.
0: Once again, I've been speaking with Holly McGee, whose new novel is *Matilda Bright and Tender*, out this month from Candlewick. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast.